Hello and welcome back to the fifth episode of the Alcoholics Football Podcast. As always, I am your host, Noah, being joined by my fantastic co-host and friend, Ivan. Uh, ain't it a pleasure to be here with you tonight, Noah? Uh, I really just want to get this done quickly so we can watch my Hawks absolutely just destroy, possibly even molest the Giants tonight. You realize if, and I'm just saying if, your Hawks lose, you're going to become the laughingstock of the NFL, right? No. Because Dolphins Denver. Right. Yeah, that's fair. I might be become the laughingstock of the podcast community. Well, that's already the case, isn't it? We both are. It's a team effort, group oh, yeah. effort. Don't let your boys down, team exactly. game. Exactly. But before we get started, we have a very special special message uh, today. Uh, we just want to take a moment to say that while we are named the Alcoholics Football Podcast, we do understand that there are lots of people who struggle who struggle with addiction, whether that be alcohol or drugs. Um, and we actually have uh, Ivan has uh, something to to tell you more about that. Yeah, so what I've got here, I want to talk about, and this is a very local cause, the Addictions Foundation of Manitoba. You know, there are folks who will help with rehabilitation of people who suffer from alcoholism, drug use addiction, gambling addiction, what have you, all around good foundation. And, you know, I mean, I'm never, I'm never going to come out here and ask people to donate to anything. But I know that these, not, not just this foundation here in Manitoba, anywhere wherever you're listening to us from these sorts of organizations would very much appreciate your support as alcoholism is something that affects people all times of year and in all parts of the world and anything that we can do to help those folks will be much appreciated absolutely and uh, we take addiction very seriously here and uh, we will be ma making a small donation ourselves. Um, and if you choose to follow suit, we really do appreciate it. But uh, thank you for listening. And on with the episode. Ivan, do you know what I noticed about our podcast lately? What did you notice? It's been a while since we've actually had a beer. Now that you mention it, like for guys who are known for like not ha no beer being safe from us, we've only covered one. That's that needs to change. No, I, I hope you have some sort of plan. It absolutely. Uh, I absolutely do have a plan for this one. Um, so today we are going to be covering the award winning Manitoban beer that is regarded as one of the best local brews in the entire country. Uh, and that uh, beer that we're going to be talking about today is the Nunsuch beer. Um, it's named after a ship that carried beer, among other items, for trade all over Canada, but primarily to Manitoba, where we reside. Um, and it actually, they did a lot of trading with the indigenous uh, um, tribes and uh, is actually a big part of the reason why uh, we have the Métis culture that we do, which is a mixture between um, the indigenous people and Europeans. Um, it was mostly from people uh, traveling on this ship for trade. 
Um, now, this ship is a big part of Manitoban history, and that's why this company decided to name their their company after this. Um, but Ivan, yes, Noah, I can tell your mouth is watering from here. Oh yeah, I love me a good beer. You know that. And today, I actually have a special treat. So unfortunately, our local LCs were sold out of the beer that I wanted to grab. So I grabbed two seasonal ones that are going out of season. So I figured, if not now, then when? So the first one for us today is the Raspberry Sour. You're really hell-bent on sticking with the fruit theme we've had going on and off the last stretch, eh? Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't hate it. I mean, I'm not one for hops. I'm, I, I, I don't like hoppy beers. And it was either this or a super hoppy dark beer. Which, yeah, exactly. Your face says it all. Not really something that I was interested in trying. I was looking for the blonde um, because I've heard nothing but great things about that one. If I end up finding it at some point, we'll have to circle back to this beer at some point. But who knows? You might even beat me to it. Yeah, but I mean, for the meantime, I'm looking at you. I'm looking at my beer, and my beer is getting a little bit warm. So why don't we crack these things open? And Absolutely. Let's do it. Credit where it's due. It does live up to its name. It definitely does. It's actually a really nice. I, I thought it was fairly smooth. Um, smooth beer. Tastes good. A little more sour than I was expecting. Definitely one of the more sour, sour beers that I've had. Um, but definitely leaves a good aftertaste. And the overall flavor is uh, really quite nice and, and refreshing. Well, and I was going to say, right. You beat me to it, but the aftertaste that I'm getting just, it makes me want another sip, you know, like this right here is, <sighs> yeah, you know, as far as sour beers go, definitely a fan. Absolutely. Would do again. And as for the second beer that I have for us today, well, we might just have to take an intermission to be able to talk about the next one when we get to it. Ivan. This has been a pretty exciting week for football. Let's let's go over our recaps. Who uh, who do you have first? So first, I've got one of the most interesting games I have seen in a long time. I am talking about the Denver Broncos and the Chicago Bears. I don't think anyone could have predicted the score to be as high as it was. And I don't think anyone predicted Justin Fields would have the best game of his career and still lose. Because we're talking to the tune of 28 for 35, 335 yards, four passing touchdowns, one pick, and you still lose. If that's not Bears football, I don't know what is. The Bears. You know, it's interesting. I really I wanted to lead into this by calling them a poverty franchise, and I can't even do that because... They look, they look pretty good. Like they're aside from the, I'm not even going to call it an implosion on defense because I think Russ just kind of woke up and finally started playing football the way he's supposed to. Like Justin Fields went 
16 of 17 in the first half, and that only incompletion was on a Hail Mary. Yeah. He's he's looking like an actual quarterback. Will this last? I don't know. But for, for one week, at least, we can put the Justin Fields as a running back allegations, just tuck him off in the corner a little bit. Yeah. For now, for me, though, as far as two is concerned, I really want to, or as far as Justin is concerned, what I really want to see is I want to see him have a game as good as he had and not throw a pick. Because, you know, you can say this is the best that he's looked. He still threw a pick. And if to have a really, truly good game and to have a really, truly good quarterback, your one good game can't include a pick. You know, and and, a loss. And I, I think. Weighing those two things you mentioned, I weigh the loss way, way above the pick because I'm going to take us back in time to last year, Tennessee at Lambeau, Tannehill having arguably the best game I've ever seen out of him. He throws a pick. He recovered from it, though, and I think that's the difference. I mean, again, Fields did not look bad. It's just... I think it's more a situation where Denver's defense finally got rolling. I mean, there was the forced fumble touchdown from Jonathan Cooper. And I think that once that happened, Fields, he definitely looked rattled. There was a lot lot more handing off of the ball than there were those, you know, mid-range passes or the deep shots that we'd seen earlier in the game. But as a whole, despite the loss, I can't find myself very mad at this Bears team if anything, I'm more ashamed of Denver. You know, you come out, you stop the Bears, you score a touchdown right out of the gate, and then you do nothing for the rest of the first half. Like that, I. they're taking slow starts to the next level. And it very well and truly could have backfired on them. It's just a slow start. Just a slow start. But, uh, yeah, no, I mean, this this Bears defense, or sorry, pardon me, this Broncos defense looks really bad, and I think that the Bears offense playing as well as they did in moments of the game, I think it does more to show how bad the Denver defense is rather than Chicago taking steps in the right direction because this is the same team that, or this is the same defense that last week led up 70 points. Yeah. The worst team in the league is going to be able to almost win the damn game. Now, ultimately Russ was able to get his head out of his, out, out of the kitchen and actually start cooking on the football field rather than burning down mile high. It's an ugly win. And neither team, I would argue, looked good. I, I'm i going to disagree with you on that neither team looked good bit because the Bears' offense was, in my eyes at least, looking quite well. Obviously, you know, the taper off towards the end of the game, but it's the versatility of the options that they have, whether it's, Khalil Herbert causing mass chaos by running the ball 18 times for 103 yards or DJ Moore 
going deep for eight receptions, 131 yards, and a touchdown, or Cole Komet just finding open space and getting the job done for two touchdowns. Two touchdowns. I know the Broncos' defense, despite some of the names, by all intents and purposes, is not good. But I feel like you have to give at least a modicum of credit to the Bears' offense. Look, this is where I disagree. Like, look, these are two not very good teams playing against each other. I know I'm normally the positive guy, right? I usually come in, give the benefit of the doubt. But here's the thing. Even the 1998 Winnipeg Blue Bombers would look good against this Denver defense. Like, this Denver defense is not good. And I am not at all convinced that... All of a sudden, the Chicago offense got over all of the bad coaching because that's the only thing that makes a football team bad. I'm being sarcastic, by the way. Um, Chicago team is bad all the way around. And when they look good against your team, I think that has more issues or that raises more flags with your team rather than giving them props and that's really just where i stand here on that one i mean that's that's fair that's fair i'm not gonna sit here and pretend that the bears are going to start making waves i just think this is maybe maybe it's just a breath of fresh air and that's why i'm so optimistic about it all righty next up we are going to be talking about the detroit lions going up against the green bay packers uh, well, didn't go the way that either of us thought. Actually, you were pretty close as far as what uh, Green Bay would score. And I was pretty close as far as what Detroit would score. So, I mean, between the two of us, that's like... We were each off by like, you were off by two points as far as what Green Bay would score. As far as what you thought, you said 18 when they scored 20, and I said 33 for Detroit, and Detroit actually scored 34. I think we count this as a win. I mean, as a win, a cooperative win. Yeah, co op win. Go, boys. Awesome. Let's go. But uh, no, I'm the more I watch of this Green Bay team, the more I'm concerned about them because this is yet again another slow start where they didn't end up doing anything until the second half of the game. Okay, cool. They put points up early. But then it was three and out, three and out, three and out. And it was just, it was tough to watch. It was not a good game. The Lions just completely controlled the first half and they were able to get a good lead, which allowed for them to essentially coast for the rest of the game. But by the time Green Bay got the ball rolling, the deficit was just too large for them to really overcome. Um, and they got close to coming back, but... Pick here, touchdown here by the by the Lions. Like again, it, it gets put out of reach here. But let's read off some stats a little bit. Gonna start off with the losing team. Jordan Love had 23 attempts for 36 or 23 completions for 36 attempts for uh, 246 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions. And a passer rating of 69.9. Now, you're going you're gonna to love this. Guess how many rushing yards they had 
on the day? Green Bay as a team. Green Bay as a team. Guess how many rushing yards they had in total. 55. Cut that in half. Rounding up or down? Your pick. Uh, Because they had a total of 27 rushing yards. And Aaron Jones, the veteran running back, only accounted for 18 of those. You know what this feels like to me? Mm. This feels like deja vu from last week. Because I think we had this exact same conversation last week. Yeah, we did. It's it's, this is, it's bad. Yeah, that, that's an understatement. But when I saw that, num- that number, I when Aaron Rodgers was on this team, I always said that Aaron Jones was the good Aaron on the team. But when you look at his yards from the season so far, he only has 65 rushing yards all season. You have guys you have guys like CMC scoring that in a quarter. <laughs> you have guys scoring that like in one of the games that we'll talk about later, scoring that in one freaking play. Like it really is unacceptable, especially from somebody of that caliber. Romeo Dobbs uh, had nine receptions, 95 yards. And that was really it. The defense played okay. Uh, Quay Walker, 10 tackles, nine assists. Um, Rudy Ford, seven tackles, two assists, one interception. But nobody else cracked five tackles on this defense. This Packers team just does not look good. But when they look good, it's far too late for them to do anything to catch up. Unless... We have like what happened with New Orleans where New Orleans just took their foot off the gas. You can't expect that from a team like the Lions because the Lions are going to chew at your kneecaps all the way until they absolutely just bury you alive. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned you mentioned Quay Walker. I want to I want to talk about him a little bit. And by a little bit, I mean a lot because I've never seen a player be such an active detriment to their own team since Albert Hainsworth played for the Redskins. This is a guy who has taken three of the most boneheaded penalties I've ever seen, shoving two trainers last year. And then this year, he decides to forget that they've banned you from taking a running start to jump over the line to block a kick because that could kill a man. If you're on special teams, that's common sense. Or at least it should be. That should be being drilled into your brain in college. I just, look, he's he's a talented enough guy. The football IQ is so not there that it it's just depressing to watch, quite honestly. And it's frustrating. But then you look at Lions defense, and here's the thing. You know how I, gave, how I just finished giving the Packers shit for not scoring... Or for not for nobody having more than five tackles other than Rudy and uh, Walker. Yeah, only one guy got that, but everybody just feasted. Everybody ate. Everybody had an opportunity, and the entire defense as a whole was able to sack Jordan Love five times. See, but that's the Lions' way, right? That. MCDC has made it very clear 
that it's a team. It's it's a pack, to use the proverbial term. So you're not going to, like, in his ideal world, in what we've seen, it's a case of everybody gets out there and does what they need to do. Exactly. And with, um, you know, with this Lions team, everybody had an impact, whereas with the Packers, nobody did. And it's different. Yes, neither one had anybody over five, really. Five tackles. But the difference between the Lions is everybody got something. We could scroll through the list of defenders right now, and there's going to be way more defenders with stats than there are on the Packers, just because that's how it played. But but here's 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 where you're, where you're going to lose a little bit. So, absolute player of the game, the guy who you could make a definite argument for winning uh, NFC player of the week is David Montgomery. He had 32 rushes for 121 yards and he had three touchdowns on that, averaging 5.8 yards per carry. I'd be making that case right now if I was him. Those are the only stat I don't like is the high volume of carries, but I'm also used to that. You know, I like to see running backs get fed. You know, it, it takes time for a lot of them to get into gear, especially guys like Montgomery or the more power back style of back. You need to get them going. Mm-hmm. It's like starting an engine. You know, you can't crank it cold. You have to got to warm it up a little bit. Exactly. Um, now, just as a whole, the Lions had 211 yards rushing. And someone who had a bit of an impact was Jameer Gibbs. He only had eight rushes, but he had 40 yards, uh, which was an average of 5.0. You know, I know you wish that he was on the field more, but when you have Montgomery putting up the stats that he's putting up, keep Gibbs fresh, let him sit on the sidelines for a little bit, and then when you need him to get first downs like they did in this game, that's when you use him. Look, I'm not going to dispute that because I do agree with you. You know, you feed the hot hand. You spent a 12th overall pick on Jameer Gibbs, and he's not your feature back. That's I, – I know Dan Campbell has a plan. I know David Montgomery is looking really good right now. I just I just can't wrap my head around spending the 12 on a guy who's going to get 40 yards a game. He's not their feature back yet. Look, we know how how common injuries are with the in the, with the running back position. So maybe they just wanted a two-headed back. Maybe they're anticipating a potential inj- injury so they're trying to, you know, save their ass. Maybe they want to let Gibbs uh um develop a little bit more. Who knows what their plan is. But whenever he's on the field, he looks good. All right, so I want to talk about a divisional matchup right now that didn't look wonderful by all intents and purposes. Talking Raiders-Chargers here, and this uh, this was definitely a Raiders and Chargers game. Jimmy Garoppolo out concussion protocol. Aiden O'Connell gets the start. And as far as rookie quarterbacks go, he didn't look too bad. I mean... 24 of 39 for 238 yards, one pick, one rushing touchdown. Not bad. Game starts, and the Chargers immediately take advantage of the run. 
Darius Davis goes 51 yards. Justin Herbert goes 12 rushing, 12 yard rushing touchdown, seven nothing for the Chargers. O'Connell gets his touchdown, ties it up at seven. Second quarter, early on, Devonta Adams gets hurt, and he's taken off for for a long time. Ultimately, he did come back. Okay. So clearly, it was not bad enough to sit him for the rest of the game, but they lost him for a significant chunk of time. And then a few plays later, Chargers tight end Donald Parham going for a ball in the end zone, stumbles, lands on his wrist, jars his shoulder as well. They ended up classifying it as a wrist injury. They took him out. I do not recall seeing him on the field again. Jeez. Yeah. Raiders get the ball back later on in the quarter, fumble it, Chargers recover, and then something happens that made me really mad. Really mad. Chargers next drive, Herbert snaps it, no options, he takes off, takes off, steps out of bounds, and Raiders defensive end Jerry Tillery smokes him. Like, we're talking worse than the Osai on Mahomes hit last year. Are you fucking shitting me? On the Chargers bench, no less. When I saw that those boys in blue were hustling to rock his shit. I can imagine. And I'm just sitting there watching watching the TV, and I'm thinking, okay, throw them out, throw them out, throw them out. And there was a lot of deliberation. And? It's qualified. So it's, that's just, use your head, man. I know, I understand, and you know it better than anybody, that the headspace that you get into down on the field. But. You got to use your brain at least a little bit. You can't go hitting the quarterback out of bounds like that. No, that's exactly. ridiculous. And don't be surprised if you get your ass whooped. Oh, yeah. And I think that's in part why they disqualified him, because you know he was going to get cold cocked by somebody later on if they didn't throw him out. Oh, yeah. Sorry, Raiders get the ball back later on in the quarter. O'Connell fumbles again. It was a quiet quarter, all things considered. Raider, sorry. Chargers with the lead 24-7 at half. And now things are about to get really exciting. First play of the third quarter, Khalil Mack strip sacks Aiden O'Connell. The Raiders do recover. Now, I want to talk about Khalil Mack a little bit. You know, former Raider, former Bear. He's coming into this game, zero sacks on the season. Guess how many he's at now? I would normally guess one, but because you're making a, a deal about it, I'm going to say three. Half a dozen. Six sacks tied for second most in a single game in NFL history. Are you kidding me? No. There are four other men who have done this. Adrian Claiborne, Osei Umanyora, Derek Thomas, and Fred Dean. That's a handful of people who have gotten six sacks in a single game. He is tied with TJ Watt for sack lead, and he did it in a quarter of the time. And and, uh, Josh Allen. Now, of course, the Chargers can't have nice things. Uh, Justin Herbert gets picked off by Trevon Merrig. And on the ensuing attempt to tackle, Herbert gets in there, gets blocked, gets his finger caught in a helmet. 
They walk him to the blue tent. He came back, though, I'm sure. He did come back. His throwing motion reduced to hell. You can't grip the ball. Fortunately, it wasn't his throwing hand, but you get no grip there. You can't take snaps under center. So naturally, the Chargers decided, hey, let's QB sneak it with Justin Herbert under center. Got nowhere. Mm -hmm. That's just that's Brandon Staley coaching there for you. Now, credit where it's due to the Raiders. They they clawed back down by 17, down by 17, you know. Score a field goal, score a touchdown, and now it comes down to the final play of the game. Chargers up 24-17. Aiden O'Connell in the red zone. Drops back, looks, throws, picked off. Game over. Good Lord. Seems like there were a lot of games like that, or games that should have ended like that this week. Oh, totally. You know, this game, I don't know how to evaluate well, because neither team looked good. And the Chargers were so close to chargering that I don't know what to think. Honestly, I don't I don't know either. I mean, obviously you have Khalil Mack, probably gonna get the uh AFC defensive player of the week. But uh, it's uh not a good look. Cause this is a team that again Every year, the Chargers on paper are one of the best teams in the league and then are middle of the pack at best. This is a this is a game where they should just not just dominate, but really just win substantially. Oh, they, they should be cruising. Like, sure, having Joey Bosa out makes a world of difference. But when Cleo Max doing what he did, that, like, you should be able to coast by all intents and purposes. Mm -hmm. But that's just Chargers football. That's how it's always been. And quite frankly, as long as Brandon Staley's around, I don't see it changing. Couldn't agree more. How many more weeks do you think he has before he gets the can? See, that's the tough thing because it's not like the Chargers have a mediocre record by any means. That said, they're sitting second in their division. Two and two, a game behind the Chiefs. Barring an absolutely destitute stretch of games, I don't think we see it until a playoff loss again. I would have canned him after Jacksonville, but that's just me. All right, now we move on to our London game. Atlanta Falcons in... At playing in London versus the home team, the London Jaguars. You joke, but it, it could happen. It could. A um, few different things. Both offenses struggled throughout. Like, this was just a defensive matchup through and through. Like, just by going over some of the defensive stats here, like, we have, um, like, just the Atlanta defense putting tons of pressure on T-Law. And there was good coverage, too. It was tough for him to be able to actually make passes. He didn't look comfortable at times. And all in all, while when I get to Trevor Lawrence's stats, it won't look like he struggled, but you could see it on on the field. He didn't look comfortable at times, and you could see that he was being rushed to make a play. Um, I think it just goes to show how good the team around him played. 
but no real defensive. Probably the best player on the Falcons was Bradley Pinion. I would have to say, because he had a total of five punts for averaging 54.2 yards per, per punt. So all in all, he did really well. Everybody else, on the other hand, not so much. Desmond Ritter, 19 for 31, 191 yards. One touchdown, two picks. One of them was a pick six and a 62.7 passer rating. I want to I want to talk about Desmond Ritter just just a little bit. Yeah. Because, look, two picks is bad enough. One for a pick six. One being a pick six is bad enough. How's about throwing them on back to back plays? I actually remember forgot, when I told I you. Forgot to write that down. Remember too. when I told you Desmond Ritter wasn't it? Yeah. Look no further. The man got completely outclassed in every facet of the position. Well, if I remember correctly, too, he threw another pick. Uh, only a few series after his back-to-back picks, but it was called back for a defensive PI. So this is a this is a Falcons team that has Taylor Heineke, the undisputed goat of backups. Maybe Mike White. But I, I'd say that are in a pretty even field. Maybe horse cock lock. Don't get ahead of yourself, buddy. Sorry. One day. I know Arthur Blank committed to Desmond Ritter. And I know the Falcons are just two and two. I don't like what I'm seeing. Maybe in a few games we see the Heineke effect start to take over again. You know what, though? When I get to the Jacksonville defense... I had to write it on a completely different page because there's so much to cover. Um, I mean, yeah, Desmond Ritter didn't look good, but I actually attribute that to Jacksonville's defense looking absolutely elite. And there's just a couple things that I want to address more. I'll try to speed through it because let's face it, we're both bored hearing about Atlanta at this point. Um, Second best player on the team was Bijan Robinson, 14 rushes, 105 yards, zero teddies, but a 7.5 yard average per carry. Um, and he did well receiving two with five racks, 32 yards, and he was their second best receiver. Was he above or below Kyle Pitts? So let's talk about their best receiver, shall we? Finally, we have a breakout tight end coming out. In the Atlanta team, let's go with six wrecks, 95 yards, zero touchdowns. Unfortunately, Jonu Smith, let's go. I, I got to be honest. I, I'd forgotten Jonu went to Atlanta. Um, Trade Kyle Pitts, please. Kyle Pitts had two receptions for 21 yards. Uh, how were Drake London's stats? Drake London got a touchdown, but other than that, he got seven uh, seven targets, three receptions, and 32 yards, one touchdown. He scored the only touchdown. Okay. Look. For this Atlanta team. I'm just going to say it again. Trade Kyle Pitts. Please get him anywhere else. Because the second that Johnny Smith was picked up, I could have told you before the season even started. 
Pitts ain't going to any time. Arthur Smith loves ex-Titans. Yeah. Free the man, please. Well, I'll write it free Drake London because. Uh, you're, free you're, the Falcons. Let's start that hashtag now. Hashtag free the Falcons. Why don't we just relocate them? I can get behind that. Where, though? Because I need to stay in the NFC South unless you want to do more divisional moving. Uh, I don't know. But, anyways, I'm bored of talking about the Falcons because they were pretty shitty. Um, let's. I, I don't even really want to talk about Jacksonville's offense, even though there are a couple things that I could give a quick shout-out to. But let's just talk about this Jacksonville defense because they're the ones who won the game. They allowed for the Jacksonville offense to really just coast and play semi-decent football and still end up with a win. So, so a couple shout-outs here. We have four, Foyasade Olukun. Olukun? Yes. Olukun. With eight tackles, one assist. Darius Williams, four tackles, one assist, one pick six. Then we have Josh Allen. I'll save Josh Allen for later. Uh, and we have Trayvon Walker. Two tackles, one sack. And not going to lie, the entire game I was like, where the hell is Walker? Like, where is he? he he's, I haven't seen him. And then he got his sack, and I go, oh, th- there he is. Like, I almost looked him up to see if he was injured. I just didn't see him on the field. His presence just wasn't there because, this, because everybody else, especially the front – everybody on the front seven had such an amazing impact. And Josh Allen had three sacks and three tackles. Oh, let's go. The better Josh Allen does it again. He's a fucking monster. I didn't even realize it. I I saw him walking around and he just looked like an absolute juggernaut. Just oh, a tank. Yeah, he's... And so like just his size, but his ability as well, because he couldn't be stopped. And I think that he was probably the biggest reason why Desmond Ritter looked so uncomfortable because he was in his face. It seemed like every single down and you could just definitely see it. It was absolutely brutal. And I think Josh Allen cemented himself as the best Josh Allen in the NFL. I don't care how well the other Josh Allen played this week. Josh Allen with the Jags is the best Josh Allen. I'll drink of that. But it wouldn't be fair for me to just cover the defense because the offense did some stuff, I suppose. Trevor Lawrence went 23 for 30. Uh, 207 passing yards. One touchdown. The entire team had uh, 105 rushing yards. ETN struggled with 20 rushes for 55 yards. Yeah. Averaging 2.8 yards per carry. Christian Kirk was their best receiver with eight receptions, 84 yards, zero touchdowns, but 10.5 yards average per reception. And Calvin Ridley was probably one of their most important players because he had two wrecks, only two, but for 38 yards, one touchdown, and... uh yeah, that one touchdown was a 30-yard pass that he caught in the end zone. So, beautiful pass. Defensively, that was their only touchdown. And uh, Brandon McManus, three field goals. Attempts and was 100% on the day. So, all in all, 
this team looked good. Um, I'm concerned for them next week, but we'll get to that later. Uh, final score, 23-7. All right. Uh, I want to start this segment off with uh, three words that need to be said. Fire Matt Canada. That's right. We're talking about the Houston Texans. Um, CJ Stroud looks like the best quarterback out of this draft class so far. He has the second most pass yards through four games in NFL history by a rookie, only behind Cam Newton. And that's pretty good company to be behind, all things considered. He also has set the rookie record for most pass attempts without a pick with 151 and counting. Okay, now I'm going to talk about the Steelers a little bit because Mike Tomlin, who normally doesn't reveal a whole lot in his pressers, has come out and said that changes need to be made. I hope to God Matt Canada is being fired because that Steelers offense was putrid. It was nasty. It reminded me of Todd Downing and Joe Lombardi combined. You could take the decaying corpse of Ben Roethlisberger, put him under center and get identical results because Kenny Pickett looked awful. 15 of 23, good completion percentage, all things considered, for 114 yards and a pick. Sacked three times, left the game in the third quarter with a knee injury. Mitch Trubisky came out, was no better. Three of five for 18 yards. Welcome to Steelers football. On the bright side, the defense did nothing at all of note, at least. Individual performance-wise, yeah, Minka Fitzpatrick, 11 tackles, seven of them solo. Great. Your safety should not be leading your team in tackles. Should be your linebacker. Yeah. Well, let's talk about one of the best linebackers on that line. I'm not even talking about TJ Watt. He, he looked atrocious. I'm talking about Alex Highsmith. Three tackles. Three? Three QB hit. Three. Three. Count them on your fingers, Noah. I know you can do it. One. Take away 17. Multiply to the power of 69. Minus 420. Holy shit. Three? Yeah. Three. Um, look, this Steelers team, they were in a bad spot to begin with. Now it's gotten worse. We don't know when Kenny Pickett's going to be back. Obviously, there hasn't been enough testing done yet to determine a timeline. Their starting tight end, Pat Fryermuth, is out with a hamstring injury that he picked up also in the third quarter. Love to see it. So we get to see Mitch Trubisky football for the uh, foreseeable future, and I pray to God that the defense at least looks somewhat servable over the next stretch because that is the only thing that is going to save this team. Do we officially say that the Steelers are not making the playoffs? I'm almost inclined to do exactly that. There's another AFC North team that I'd say before I say the Steelers. Steelers. But I am very much inclined to to put them on the outer fringe of the hunt. Let's talk some positives, though. 
because I want to talk about the Houston Texans. Oof. Wow. You're actually going to be positive about the Oilers. You're fired. I'm your editor and the co-host. Yeah. How can I be fired? It's a 50-50 team up. This was my idea. CJ Stroud, 16 of 30. Not great. It doesn't matter when you're going for 306 yards and two touchdowns. Nico Collins, Texans wideout, seven receptions, 168 yards, and both of those touchdown receptions. What? Yeah. Holy shit. I The Texans are looking dangerous, and it scares me a little bit. I got to be honest, but you know what? I don't have a whole lot more to say. I do have a very heartwarming story to share. J.J. Watt was inducted into the Texans' ring of fame. His brother Derek was there. T.J. was, of course, down on the field and too busy to attend the ceremony. But good for him. I mean, he put he put his heart and soul out there for that franchise and more than deserving to see him up there. No, absolutely. Uh, J.J. is one of the all-time greats. Um, and... Uh... Absolutely heartbreaking to see him retire, but to see him welcomed back uh, in Houston really kind of warms my heart a little bit. All right. Next up, we have the Kansas City Chiefs against the New York Jets. Final score being 23-20. to I thought it was going to be 33-15 in favor of Casey. You thought it was going to be 28-16. to so we were off a little bit, but uh, Ivan, here, here are the best quarterback stats from this game, and then you're going to tell me who it is. All right. 28 for 39, 445, sorry, 245 passing yards, two touchdowns, zero interceptions, a passer rating of 105.2. What's well, Zach Wilson? Because he saw Donna Kelsey up in the uh, up in the box there and turned you, into... You son of a bitch. You, told my, you stole my fucking joke. Hell yeah, I did. You fucking stole my joke. Yeah. I was so excited. to. I had the perfect setup, but you just had to rip the wool from underneath me. I am so mad right now. You'll get over it. Anyways, the Q trio did really, really well on uh, the Jets' defense. Uh, Quincy Williams, 10 tackles, 2 assists. Uh, Quentin Williams, 3 tackles, 0.5 sacks. Quentin Jefferson, former Seahawk, 2 tackles, 0.5 sacks. And they were in Mahomes' face the entire time. As far as everybody else on the Jets, eh, it was underwhelming. Nobody really got the the only standouts, I suppose, on offense would be other than Zach Wilson, surprisingly enough, playing for Donna Kelsey. Uh, where Alan Lazard with three wrecks, 61 yards, one touchdown, and Garrett Wilson, nine wrecks, 60 yards, which isn't that good. No, in fact, I would almost call that bad. I would too, but... We're not here for that. Let's talk about the team that shouldn't have won because the refs were wearing their uh, 
Are we talking about that uncalled hold on third and twenty-two? Okay, you can you can stop interrupting me here because you're so you're, sorry that I did my homework properly. I did my homework properly. I'm just trying to lead up to it. You son of a son of a gun. There's like three other calls you can address. So, yeah, I know, but you're knowing you, you're gonna freaking interrupt me and like ruin it. I but anyways, could. Pat threw two touch or two interceptions, one touchdown. It was not a good game for him. He should have thrown a third touchdown, but the refs were wearing their uh, red and yellow striped uh, referee jerseys today in this game. And it could, you could tell. There was that absolute blatant holding penalty. There was the pick at the end of the game that would have sealed uh, or given the Jets an opportunity to come back, tie it up, or even score a touchdown to win um, that was taken away. All in all, this was just not a good game on on Casey's side. Well, I mean, talking about that pick that got taken away, you know, what you want to call defensive holding, that's fine. They didn't throw the flag till the ball was in the corner's hands. I think it was Sauce, wasn't it? No. It, or was it DJ? Sauce got the pick. But I can't remember who it was, but uh, they called a holding right at the beginning of the play, right off the line of scrimmage, which, again, you have five yards to play with to make contact, to do what you got to do to try and slow them down. So it was legal, and the play was called right about the time Sauce was out of bounds or tackled. I can't remember which one it was. I just remember being furious when the flag was thrown. And look. I wasn't cheering for either team because I don't like either team. But when you see ref ball like this, it fires you up. And especially when you see a team playing so horribly that they should not win, that they have absolutely no business winning, win, it's bullshit. Um, Patrick Mahomes looked like shit. There's no way around it. Is he, is he finally regressing to the mean? Can we, can we bring that one back? I doubt it. But he... he was just uncomfortable the entire time. The the Q trio just was in his face the entire time, forcing him to run, forcing him to get out of the pocket. He had some good rushing yards. But again, it just didn't really do a whole lot. Travis Kelsey was the number one receiver. Shocker. I was going to say, color me surprised. Who was the, number two? The number two, Noah Gray. One wreck, 34 yards, one touchdown. Look. Casey needs receivers. Antonio Brown's available. So is Colin Kaepernick. Ocho Cinco wants to come back. He's been saying that since he retired. I don't Kaepernick know. at whiteout, though. That would be a hell of a sight. Yeah, I know, right? But, no, I... As bad as this offense was, I don't want to take anything away from Isaiah Pachinko. Um, he was the only offensive standout. Kelsey played well, but the only standout was Isaiah. He had 20 rushes for 115 yards, one touchdown, 5.8 yards average per carry. And receiving the ball, he didn't do too bad. Three receptions, 43 yards with a 14.3 average. Look, I love Isaiah Pacheco, and you want to know why? Hmm. This is a man 
who runs as if he's been told that if he doesn't make it to the end zone, they're deporting his entire family. He is all, no, it, it's determination. And that's what you love to see out of a running back, right? Like he's yeah. going on there and his whole intent is make guys miss, get the points, go home. Yeah. No, like he played really, really well. And by me shitting on this Casey offense, again, I don't want to take anything away from him because he played really well. Now, the only other standouts, it, there weren't really any. Obviously, Chris Stone Cold Jones, two tackles, one assist, one sack. We pretty much expect a sack for a game from him. Uh, Mike Edwards, five ta- uh, uh, the safety, had four tackles and a sack. Don't normally see sacks from safeties, so love to see it. And really, everybody ate on the defense. This defense is the only reason why the KC team won because they were able to force five total punts. But at the end of the day, with how badly KC played, with all the bullshit that got called in KC's favor, that was exactly bullshit. I hate talking about the refs. Let's move on then. the, the, The best football team should win in spite of that. But it didn't look that way today in this game. But that's all I have to say. Th- those are my closing statements. Fuck the refs. Ivan. Yeah. I don't know about you, but my raspberry sour is looking empty. Oh, mine's getting pretty low. I am very curious about what else you got in my fridge. I am actually very excited to show what we have today. seriously pronounce his name pachinko <laughs> did i hear that right it's pacheco <laughs> oh son of a bitch <laughs> i almost i almost broke during it pachinko Welcome back, folks. Noah has finally stopped raiding my fridge, and he's got something very exciting to share with you all. So, we're still sticking with none such here. That's the theme of the day. Uh, But we will be having a strawberry Kolsch of the German variety. So, let's uh, crack these bad boys open. What are your thoughts? I like the flavor. I would not call it strawberry. I'm not I'm not tasting the sort of fruitiness that comes with a strawberry. It gives me more of like a strawberry rhubarb vibe. Little bit, yeah, and it's I mean very good. I actually like this one better than the raspberry. I disagree. I like the sharpness of the raspberry, but I would definitely drink this in a pinch. Absolutely. Not as refreshing. Definitely something that you can sip on a little bit better. This is like this is a late night beer. You know, you've had your you've had your dozen already and you're just looking to coast through the night. It's two AM and you crack one of these because it's it's refreshing, it'll cool you off, but it's not gonna kill you. 
Absolutely. I agree. But moving on from the beer, Ivan, we have a very special draft today. Oh, do we? Uh, And that draft is the all-time quarterback draft. Now, we do have a few rules. So that way we don't get any angry emails or anything saying, why isn't Pat Mahomes on this list? Why isn't the overrated Aaron Rodgers on this list? Boo freaking who. These are the all-time greatest quarterbacks. And they're both, well, one of them is still in the league. And the other one is greatly overrated. Okay. Well, I, I got a little too annoyed there. Yeah, have, have another sip of beer. I can. So the deal with this is we're not looking at active guys, right? It doesn't, like, I'm not going to dispute how good Mahomes is. I'm going to dispute the meat riding of Aaron Rodgers just a little bit. But the point is we're looking for guys that can't pad their stats any more than they've already done. Like what's there is there. Exactly. Um, and so with that, Ivan. Yeah. I have the first overall pick five weeks in a row, baby. We but got- this time I have 100% of the votes. I was going to say we got one vote. I wouldn't pat yourself on the back all that much. 100% of the votes I got. Yeah, one out of one is 100. You're right. I'm, I'm glad you can put that together. Exactly. All right. Rip the Band-Aid off. So, obviously, you know, I'm going to go with the all-time great, the goat of goats. Josh so Rosen? Speak. Fuck no. He's the only quarterback to have gone 16-0. and uh, he's the only quarterback to have appeared in 10 Super Bowls. He's the only quarterback to have won seven Super Bowls and also has three NFL MVP seasons. And that's Tom Brady. He's I, feel one like, of, he's I feel like this is undisputable. Undisputable. He's one of the only quarterbacks who's won a Super Bowl with two different teams, which in itself is something incredible, but also he has the most completions of any quarterback. He has one of the highest career completion percentages with 64.3. He has a total of 649 touchdowns, 212 interceptions, and a grand total of 89,241 yards. Look, if he's not the goat of goats, I don't know who is. I've been a hater of Tom Brady in the past. I own that, and I was wrong. But I am very glad to have him on this team. But before I move on, I'm also going to say Tom Brady is by far the best leader. Interesting. That's of interesting. any quarterback ever because he's been able to come back from some incredible deficits, including 28-3 to in the Super Bowl against the Atlanta Falcons. Not saying this to rub it into you Falcons fans. I'm very sorry if that, you know, triggers you a little bit. But it is the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history, and he has many comebacks like that. Yeah, I mean, that was a pick that was regardless – yeah, everybody knows, right? He's going to be number one. Nobody comes close. I don't think anybody will come close. But there is one person who's a very clear-cut second. There is. 
which is why I'm going to talk about the 2005 Walter Payton Man of the Year. The 2005 Pro Bowl MVP, the 2007 Super Bowl MVP, the man who's had his number retired by two different franchises, the man who made the Super Bowl four times under four different coaches and won half of them, the five-time NFL MVP, the ying to Brady's yang, Peyton Manning, go Vols. Look, you knew I was going to do this, but I can't help but look at the kind of dichotomy that we saw between Brady and Mahomes. Not Mahomes, oh my God. Peyton Manning. And think that I could pick anybody else, even knowing the names that I'm leaving behind. Peyton Manning, this... In part, I did this because Peyton Manning is the guy who got me into football, ultimately, right? It would feel wrong for me, even knowing who you're about to take at your second, to not pick this man. He's got the most first-team All-Pro selections in NFL history. First quarterback to reach 200 career wins between the playoffs and the regular season. Most touchdown passes in a single season with 55. Most seasons with at least 4,000 passing yards to the tune of 14. Five of which were consecutive. Most passing yards in a season, 5,477. Most NFL teams beaten, 32, tied with Brett Favre, Drew Brees, and Tom Brady, of course. But I am more than satisfied taking Peyton Manning at 1-1. Now, moving on to the th- my second pick, I'm going to go with what I think is who I think is the second best quarterback of all time. Look, I don't say this lightly because he's a fucking niner, but at the end of the day, the best is the best. It that's just how it works. And that is of course, Joe cool Montana, Joe Montana. You could say, um, Look, he has four Super Bowl appearances, four Super Bowl wins. It's tough to have a 100% Super Bowl win percentage, especially when you've been to that many. He has three Super Bowl MVPs and two NFL MVPs. Look, he was a historic player on a historic team, and I want to stop talking about him because I feel like I'm praising the Niners a little bit, and that makes me want to die. But you know what? I really do like this pick of Average Joe. He called he called himself that. I can say it. Yeah. I feel but like... He wasn't anything... No, God, average, no. Though. Nothing average about that man. I knew this was coming. I knew it was going to be tough for you to admit it, but you're absolutely right. Like... If I don't let my sentimentality get in the way, he's my 1-1. Yeah. Because, like you said, that 100% Super Bowl win rate, that's, I'm going to say it, downright impossible. Oh, yeah. I mean, the only other quarterback who's done it that can come to mind is Eli Manning. But that is a whole different conversation. For a sec, I thought you were going to transition and say that that's who you were going to pick. No, not in the slightest. Instead, I am going to take the 2004 NFL Comeback Player of the Year. 
the 2006 Walter Payton Man of the Year. The Super Bowl 44 MVP and champion. 13-time Pro Bowler. Sports Illustrated 2010 Sportsman of the Year, Drew Brees. The only reason why Sean Payton is a celebrated coach is this man. You've got a you've got a grimace on your face, Noah. What have I done? Look, Drew Brees is my favorite quarterback of all time. I have him at six on my board, but I was gonna move him up to take him third so that way you wouldn't get him, so that way I'd be able to have my favorite quarterback of all time. Look, Brady stayed in the league longer. Just that way Brady could say that he was better than him in every regard. That's how good Drew Brees was. Well, never mind that. Peyton Manning, he's got that all-time pass yards in a season record. He beat Brees by one. Yep. And I'm very certain that was just so he could say he did it. You know, Drew Brees, not the most, like, not, when you think of illustrious careers, you don't think of Drew Brees. No, when you think of Drew Brees, you think of, Adversity, you think of grit. Dependability. Dependability. You think of intelligence. You think of drive. You think of focus. Really, he's Tom Brady minus minus the Super Bowls. Yeah, I, I think that is a very, very good way to put it. I mean, even looking at his overall statistics... This is a man who has almost half of the 5,000-yard seasons in NFL history, 5 out of 11. Look, this man, not the most productive in terms of teams around him, but he made what was around him look good, very good. Look at Michael Thomas, for example. Yeah. All Drew, all Drew Brees did was produce year after year. His football, and I'm going to take this line from the NFL itself. He is like the pro football's version of duct tape. Good, durable, and the most reliable thing on the planet. And I can't argue that. Yep. And paved the way for short quarterbacks, even though he was just six six feet tall. But... You know, he was always somebody that I looked up to um, growing up. So glad to see him not drop to the third round. Absolutely choked that I don't have him on my team. Oh, so discouraged. But anyways, I can't be that way forever. So with my third overall, I feel like this is who you'd pick next. And I really want him on my team. I'm going to have to save my number three for my four or my five. Uh, and I'm going to go with one of the most influential quarterbacks in recent football history. He changed the way that the game is played. Whenever a quarterback that plays his similar style of football, they always compare him to him. But let's face it, there is no replacing the one, the only, the great Michael Vick. 
Controversial pick, but I am very much on board with it. Look, he is the greatest rushing quarterback of all time. And look, you can say Lamar beat his record, Lamar this, Lamar that. Look, without Michael Vick, Lamar is playing running back right now. Without Michael Vick, we don't have people going nuts for this. We don't have a Cam Newton. And all hell, in all, hell without, without Michael Vick, Justin Fields probably isn't in the NFL. Exactly. Michael Vick is arguably the most influential quarterback in recent football history because he had such an influence on the game. Um, as far as stats go, he's not the greatest quarterback ever, but people play a different form of football. We see aspects of his play in Mahomes, especially this last week. Uh, we see aspects of his play in, of course, Justin Fields, Lamar Jackson, which we just wouldn't have if Vic never played. So, going to take the all-time great Atlanta Falcon, the all-time great Philadelphia Eagle, right here at three. All right, I, I like it. I like it a lot. I mean, this is a guy who... Kids would play in Madden and just dominate, and that's how good he was. You know, he opened, you know, McNair did it. He, you know, he was arguably the Michael Vick before Michael Vick, but Vick took what Steve McNair did and did it better. Yeah. So I I really like this pick. I'm glad you got him. I would not have taken him. Oh, okay. But I'm I'm very glad that, that he got his pick. Alrighty. All right, I'm going to... you got for three? I've got a guy that... If you have on your board, I want you to tell me because I'll be very proud of you. Look, this is a guy who made the Browns look good. We all know how difficult that is to do. This is a guy. You can't pick Baker Mayfield. I'm not picking Baker Mayfield. This is a guy who took the Browns to league championships every year between 1946 and 1955, making 10 championship appearances, winning seven of them. He has the highest career winning percentage for an NFL starting quarterback at 81.0. Otto Everett Graham Jr. No, I don't have him. I'm not surprised. A lot of a lot of folks have not heard of him and that's for good reason. I mean, no, I've heard of him. Okay, I just well, stuck to NFL. Well, he technically did play in the NFL. Oh, yeah. I guess uh, Browns were NFL. Yeah. Look, I... I just mean, like, post-merger. Yeah, well... Like Super that, Bowl era. That was not made clear. So, Otto Graham is my number three. Look... I respect that. I appreciate that. This guy had a 2-1 to one touchdown-to-interception ratio over his career. I know... The forward pass was a relatively new thing, right? Like it's mm -hmm. in Graham's era, excuse me, in Graham's era, it was just sort of emerging, coming into its own. But Otto Graham, he didn't do toss passes or this dink and dunk stuff. He just hucked it down the field and it worked. He has a career yards per attempt of 9.0. This guy, I mean, you made your influential pick. I'm going to make mine. 
because he showed that the forward pass was viable and he just made it work. Leading the NFL in completion percentage in 1953, 54, and 55. And in 1955, he had his large his yard per completion rate was 17.6. You're never going to see that ever again. I mean, this was back in a time when guys would, you know, cough a couple darts before a game. Thought about take putting him on my list, but ultimately I didn't. Instead, I'm going to go with the guy who perfected the forward pass. I put here invented it as a joke, but seeing as you went even older than I did, yeah. I'm just going to say now that you've... I'm going to go with the man who perfected it. All right. Four NFL championships, one Super Bowl championship, three-time league MVP, one-time man of the year. And of course, I'm going to go with Johnny Unitas who is my number three. I think he's the third greatest quarterback of all time. Um, right behind Joe Montana and Tom Brady. But the impact that this man had on the league and the fact that he made it through the merger and still found success, still won a Super Bowl, winning Super Bowl five, that is. Um, really, everything that this man has done cannot go um, unnoted, one of the all-time greats, um, and really paved the way for guys like Montana, Brady, Peyton, um, definitely one of the most influential quarterbacks like Otto, um, in those early years of football. And you I'm know, gladly adding him to my list. I love that pick, not just cause I was going to take him with my next pick. But because, never mind perfecting the forward pass, this is the man who invented the two-minute drill. Like, you want to talk about impact on the game? Look no further than Johnny Unitas. Because he did it, and he did it well. Sure, just one chip, I don't think that matters. When you look at everything that he did, I, I'm a little bit jealous. I'm glad that I got one that made you jealous. Well, you know, all's fair in love and war and whatnot. Alrighty. Who you got going for? I've got a guy who has even fewer championships than Johnny Unitas. But I can't leave him up here any longer. I've, I've done that long enough. I've got the guy with the lowest career sack percentage at 3.1. The lowest sack percentage in a season with 1.0 in 1988. Most seasons leading the league in pass attempts. Did that five times. He led the league in the lowest sack percentage ten times. Seven of which were in a row. I want to talk about Dan Marino. Fuck you. Yeah. Yeah, I, I let him slide long enough, and once you took Unitas, it's like I got to take him now because... He's not going to last any longer. Look, people are going to come at me saying, oh, he never won a ring, he never won a ring. I don't care. This is a guy who led the NFL in pass yards in 85, 86, 88, and 92. In 1986, 
His 44 passing touchdowns were 19 ahead of the next quarterback. That's an NFL record in terms of discrepancy. Look, sure, tears his Achilles in 1993. You know, you come back different. But he didn't change all that much. His style of play still worked. You know, looking at even the comparison between Dan Marino and Joe Montana, which was made all the time, Marino never had guys like Roger Craig. Or he didn't have, you know, his entire secondary making the Pro Bowl in one season. Right? He, look, the Dolphins never had great weapons, but he made it work. Sure, he fell short of the ultimate prize. But for what he did under the circumstances he was under and to still put up the numbers that he was able to put up, I can't leave him. No, absolutely. I was hoping you were going to pull something else uh, from your uh, book of names. So that way I could get Dan Marino uh, fifth, but you got him fair and square. Which leaves me no choice. For fuck's sake, you you sadistic fuck. Oh, are you going to do what I think you're going to do? Tell the world who I'm going to take fifth. Steve Young. Yep. Yeah. I'm going to go with the second best Russian quarterback in NFL history. The quarterback with one of the best stories in NFL history. And the quarterback who was able to win three Super Bowls where two of them, he didn't even step foot on the field. Um, he has one Super Bowl MVP and two NFL MVPs. Look, Steve Young didn't play in the NFL and the NFL all that. He just didn't. He struggled to find a spot, but found the right system for him in um, in San Fran. And they saw enough in him where they decided to move off of Joe Montana to start Steve Young, and it ended up working out for them in the end. Um, Steve Young, definitely one of the most underrated quarterbacks in history. I don't feel like he gets recognized enough, um, especially because he played in the same time uh, at the same time as Joe Montana. Look. Uh, he needs to get drafted in this. And I'm glad uh, that he was able to be taken off the board here. I hate the fact that he's he was on the Niners, though. That's fair. That's fair. Look, I, I'm closing out this draft, and I look at my board, and I don't like any of the guys I've got written down, so I'm going to jump off ship a little bit. And call me crazy, but I got to do this. This guy, he's had his number retired by the team he played for. He's a nine-time Pro Bowl selection. He's an All-Pro selection. 1990 Offensive Player of the Year. 1989 Man of the Year. But this is what's going to stand out the most. The first black quarterback in the NFL. Warren Moon. Look, his numbers 
are not wonderful. They're not bad by any means, but they're not wonderful. Led the league in pass yards twice in 1990-1991. Led the league in touchdowns in 1990. Postseason success was not a thing. I know I'm not going to be allowed to do this, but I'm going to do it anyways. I want to talk Canadian football for just 30 seconds of your time. That's cheating, but I'll allow it. It's cheating because nobody would sign him. He lost six that's years. Why, that's why I'll allow He lost it. six years of his career, and that's all I'm going to say about it. Until Bud Adams was like, hey, this man's got it. Signed him to Houston. The rest is history. You want to talk about influential guys breaking down barriers. Warren Moon. There's other guys that I would argue I could have put above him, but I don't want to, and not even because of the homerism aspect, because of what he did for the game. No, I love that pick. Um, Warren Moon, I think you could argue, is one of the all-time greats. Um, I thought about putting him 11 on my list, but I only mark up to the 10 guys. So... No, I uh, I love that pick. Again, I would have put him eleven. So that's uh, that's a great pick right there. Quick shout out to two of the other greats, Terry Bradshaw, of course, who I thought you were actually going to go with uh, here. He was, and apologies, Terry. He was my original five, and then while you were talking, I did some thinking, and it's like. I kind of want to take take a different route. Underappreciated, because yeah. Warren Moon really is that, and uh, Roger Staubach. Yeah. Well, I want to I want to shout out one more old head before we wrap this segment. Sammy Baugh, the mm. quarterback punter. True. You know Randall Cunningham, the Eagles. Oh yeah, that's another really good one. Yeah. But we could probably we name could we could do this for hours for hours. So let's move on to our week five predictions. And I will kick it off with the Thursday night primetime game: the Bears in Washington facing up against the Commies or the Red Commie Potatoes, the football something. Anyways, Washington team. All right, look. I know you said you were going to start this, but I'm going to start this. The football team, despite their record, has been playing very competitive games. They almost beat the Philadelphia Eagles in week four. Yeah. And that in and of itself is just either an indictment to the Eagles, but I'm going to take it as an assessment of character for the football team. The football team is going to take this one. Yeah. And on that note... I mean, look, the Bears look ba- bad all around. The commies are going to be pissed, right? Like, their OT loss, that's not an easy loss to have, especially when it's a divisional rival like this. Like, but also, I'm just, I like Sam Howell over Justin Fields any day of the week from what we've seen in these four weeks of football. Um, you know, and if Sam Howell doesn't win this game for the commies, Justin Fields will lose it. You know, I I don't want to spend too long on this because it's only Thursday night. I will disagree with you there. I think it's going to come down to Terry McLaurin versus DJ Moore. Fair assessment. 
but I stand by what I said. Uh, my final score is going to be 37 to 17 in favor of the football red commies. I'm going to say 32 to 20 in favor of the football team just because I want to give the Bears a little bit of credit after what happened this past week, regardless of the results. All right, this is going to be a grudge match that people won't think about being a grudge match. Carolina Panthers and Detroit Lions. If the Lions beat the Panthers last year, they make the playoffs. So you bet they're going to be coming in here pretty mad. They're coming off of a hell of a high, and Bryce Young has looked absolutely awful. He's a rookie, so, you know, we let it slide. But with how well he played in the first two weeks of football, like, we did, weren't even talking about C.J. Stroud. We were talking about Young. And now... And now the narrative's flipped entirely. Exactly. Look, there's going to be ups and downs. <sighs> Carolina needs a win. I just don't think this is it. Detroit's going to take this 35-14. to 14, And it's just because experience is going to outclass Bryce Young. No, and I absolutely agree here. Um, I think it's not going to be close. That's why I have 28 to 13. Look, I think Detroit's going to coast a little bit towards the end of the game. Why force your guys to work as hard as they are? I think we're going to see a lot more from Jameer Gibbs, which is going to be really nice to see. Um, Well, I I just think it's going to be such a dominant performance. So that's my hope. That's what I think is going to happen. All right. We have sun in London, Sunday morning in London. We have the Jacksonville Jaguars taking on the Buffalo Bills. Look, this is really the biggest thing in favor of the Jags. Home field advantage? Second, no, not just that. It's their second week in London. True, so they'll be rested up. They're rested. They're going to be ready to go, honestly, and that's really what you want for this defense. Um, And look, their defense has been on fire in the last few weeks. They've been doing really, really well. But honestly, I'm really, really concerned about this offense. Trevor looks way too laxed at times when he should be, you know, gearing up, ready to go, Um, you know. But at the end of the day, the Bills score 30 points per game. That's their average. Um, and the Jags allow 25. So all in all, it's going to be really tough to stop to stop this offense. With what we saw last week, it should carry over. I think that we will see a little bit of a... We'll see them die down a little bit more um, because they'll be a little bit more tired. Look, they just dominated. It's in London. The Jags have the home field advantage because they've been there for an extra week. Um, I think Josh Allen will be uncomfortable because he'll be going up against the good Josh Allen. Um, I actually have it written down here. Bad Josh Allen will be uncomfortable versus good Josh Allen. (laughs) And look, I think both offenses will struggle, but that's because of how good each defense is. But ultimately, I think there's one offense that's going to struggle a lot more, and that offense is going to be the Jags. 
I mean, furthermore, furthermore, Bills got some really bad news yesterday. Tredavious White destroys his Achilles out for the year. That's not going to help the Bills secondary at all. This is, I feel like it's not going to be very pretty. Like you say, the Jags, they're rested up. Their front seven, well, let's be real. Josh Allen looks scary. Yeah. I don't want to tell you my score because I don't want it to impact what you think it's going to be. It's it's not because I still think this is going to be a higher roller than you expect. Okay. The Jag secondary, while capable, is not good. It's not bad, but it's not good. 28 to 20 in favor of Jacksonville. And I have a completely different score here. I have 18 to 9. I don't think Jacksonville will score a touchdown. And I'm going to say that right here, right now. I don't think Jacksonville will score a touchdown. Wow. Now just watch their first touchdown is going to be a just an absolute dot 65-yard dime. Oh, totally. You, you've done it now. You've spoken into existence. Exactly. So, anyways, moving on. I've got the Philadelphia Eagles and the Los Angeles Rams, and I don't know how to gauge this exercise because the Eagles gave up far too many points to an inferior football team on Sunday, and the Rams decided to give up a 23-point lead to the Colts. Look, both these teams are coming off of games that are finished way closer than they should have. Neither of them, quite honestly, is looking terribly good. Eagles secondary is going to have a lot of problems. Pukunakua out there doing what he does, breaking records, winning games, 2-2 Atwell, excellent support option. I'm not convinced that the, the Eagles secondary can withstand this. 21-14, Los Angeles. This is the first time you and I have disagreed seemingly in a while. I mean, we did agree all of last week, so... That's true. Because I think Philly is going to take this win here. But there's a few reasons for that. Um, Matthew Stafford has not looked comfortable going up against a strong defensive rush, which is exactly what Philly has. Um, You're right. Puka, I think, is going to have a really, really good game, but I think it's mostly going to be on dink and dunk plays because that's all Stafford's going to be able to get out here. I think it's going to be really, really close. I think it's going to be neck and neck. I think that the Eagle will have their the Eagles will have their fair share of struggles. Offensively, they've been good, but they've also been bad, seemingly in the same games. Um, but I'm still going to go with Philly here, uh, 24-23. Uh, I don't disagree with you. It's it's that D line is going to be the game changer if things are going to go Philadelphia's way. Agreed. And even though the Rams have a really good defensive line, at the end of the day, the Eagles have a far better O-line than the Rams do. So, And my last prediction, for fuck's sake, 
Why did I commit to covering all of the fucking primetime games? Because you have no other option. Yes, because I have no other option. So fuck right off, Niners. It's uh, Dallas and San Fran. <sighs> Look, CMC is the leading rusher right now with 353 yards. The next highest, it has 308 rushing yards. So he's leading by almost an entire game for some guys. Um and uh, look, Brock Purdy, he's been playing really well. He's fourth in the league for pass rating. Pretty solid. And look, Prescott hasn't been playing horribly. But look, let's not talk about these offenses unless we're talking about CMC. Because the Niners have the best defense in the league. And it's not even close at this point. There's no major injuries on either side of the ball, whereas Dallas is going to be missing Diggs and Tyron Smith. Look, it's not going to be as competitive as it would be as if it was as if this game took place at the beginning of the season. Um, But I'm going to take the Niners here 32 to 14. So I will agree with you on a lot of things. And this is a situation that is most definitely one of them in that the Niners are going to win. Dallas, I think, will put up a bit more of a fight. Not enough to make a difference. You know, they've still got their injury holes. Zach Martin and Tyron Smith, both questionable. Sorry, Zach Martin Martin's played last week, so that's I'm working under the assumption that he's playing this week. As okay, because well. I still I st- on the injury report he's still technically questionable. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Tyron Smith is out. Apologies. Micah Parsons is technically questionable. He will play. I don't doubt that. Mm-hmm. But the Niners are going to tear these boys apart. It's going to be it's going to be like the 1990s all over again, where you're going to see a back and forth, back and forth. Niners are going to pull it out. It's going to be a I'm going to give it a little bit of a higher edge. I'm thinking to the tune of 35-25. But Dak's going to throw one absolutely stupid interception like he did against the Cardinals. And that's just going to... It doesn't matter when it's going to happen. It'll shift the momentum entirely. Yeah, I can get behind that. All right, I'm going to close out our in-depth looks. Chiefs-Vikings. And I'm going to say something really controversial. Neither team has really looked great. I don't care that the Chiefs put up 41 against Chicago. It's Chicago. Minnesota finally got their first win of the season. Look, if I'm Andy Reid, I'm coming out here and I'm leaning on Isaiah Pacheco, which means it won't happen. But it needs to happen. Because your passing game cannot work if your tight end is your leading receiver week in, week out. I'm sorry, but it's true. The Vikings need to just limit mistakes because you can't afford to slip when you're playing against Kansas City. Kirk Cousins is playing as if he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league, if not the best. He's number three in the league for passing yards, number one for passing touchdowns, and as far as stats go, he has a completion percentage of 68.8, and a passer and a 
passer rating of 104.4. And his average yards per game is 303 yards. Look, KC's a really good team. Their defense is phenomenal. But you can't do anything if you play the way that you did last week. Not even the refs will be able to save you against this Vikings team. Look, everybody makes a big deal about teams going 0-3, 0-3. Look, every year there's one team that seemingly makes the playoffs after going 0-3. That's going to be the Vikings. Whether they lead their division or get a wild card spot, they're going to go to the playoffs, especially with how well Kirk Cousins has been playing, as well as the entirety of their offense. Because look, best receiver in the league, best rookie receiver in the league, they're really their only issue is the rushing game. I, <sighs> Which won't be much of an issue because, you know, the Chiefs, that's where they primarily do their best defending is against the run. So when you have a team like Minnesota that doesn't run a whole lot, I don't know. I'm going to take Minnie here. I, despite what I have said, I am also going to take the Vikings here. I agree with you to a point in that I could see them hitting a wild card, but it will come down to week 17, and they need to start winning now if they're going to do it. This is a perfect game. It's a 3 o'clock slot, so not quite prime Kirk Cousin hours, but still reasonable Kirk Cousin hours. But it's not going to be some absolute walk-away, run-away score type game. This is going to be tight. This is going to be gritty. It's going to be nasty. I'm saying 30-27 to 27 for many. It's actually... It's all close to what I have. I have 27 to 20 in favor of Mini. Alrighty, now we move on to the rest of the games. Now, before we do that, there are four teams who are going to have buys in week five. And these teams are the Cleveland Hands, the LA Chargers, the Seattle Seahawks, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So, unfortunately, I'm going to be a lonely Seahawks fan. Won't get to watch us, but that's okay. Um, but the first game we're going to talk about, going to be quite the nail-biter. Both teams coming off of losing games. New York Giants in Miami. Dolphins. Oh, easy. I have 30-6. to six. <laughs> Wow, okay. I was thinking more along the lines of like 35-10. to 10. So I'm glad we're within range. Look... <laughs> I don't want to spend too long on this, but the Dolphins are going to be mad, and the Giants, unfortunately, are a bad football team. And that's what you can sum it up to. Tua's going to be coming out there, and he's going to be playing some of the best football we've ever seen because now the Bills have the leg up on him, and Miami cannot take Next up, we have the New Orleans Saints versus the New England Patriots. Look, if Derek Carr plays... I'm saying the Patriots. If he plays. If he plays. New Orleans did not look good on Sunday. Like, I'd almost put famous Jameis back in. Because the Patriots have looked terrible. Mac Jones is not it. Bill Belichick needs to be fired. And Bill O'Brien was a waste of an investment. 
And I think even then, if they start Derek Carr, the Patriots will somehow beat the Saints. To the tune of like 17-14. This is going to be an ugly game. It's going to suck. I feel bad for anybody who has to watch it. And in favor of New England, you said? In favor of New England, yes. I also have New England winning this one. 18-10. to 10. Okay, so. Pretty reasonable. Yeah. Uh, next up, we have the Baltimore Ravens in Pittsburgh going up against the Steelers. Ravens by a whole lot. I have it 17-9. to nine. The Steelers offense, other than against the Raiders, has looked horrible. Um, I mean, their defense is going to perform better. That's why I only have Baltimore scoring 17. But... I just don't see Pickett doing all that much. If he plays. If he plays. If he plays, look. And if it's and if it's you know who. The MVP. The one and only. Um, then it could easily be worse than this. But look three field goals, I feel like is a safe bet here. I'm going to give the Steelers a little bit more credit while also giving the Ravens a whole lot more credit because the Ravens are the best team in their division, and it's just far and away. 25-13 to 13 in favor of Baltimore, and Pittsburgh is going to score a defensive touchdown because TJ Watt's going to be big mad about not doing anything last week. Fair enough. Next up, Houston in Atlanta. Atlanta is back west side. West side? Look, um... What do you got? Texans. Far and away, the Texans. Even if Stroud has a down game where he only puts up 200 yards, I think that's going to be enough. Honestly, me too, but I think Atlanta is going to be really pissed off here. They can be pissed off all they want. They have a bad quarterback. But I think they're going to be competitive. Look, they have one of the best running backs in the league. That is a very bold claim, which I'm moderately on board with i'll give you like top 12 yeah no higher than that i'd say top top eight i'll give you 10 and we'll call it a compromise fair enough but so they'll be able to put up points he's great in the backfield and he's good receiving counter argument robinson i mean counter argument will anderson jr true he'll be there he'll be setting that edge look This isn't going to be a massacre, but I am thinking the tune of like 28-14 Houston because the Jags are flying in from London. It takes time to shake that jet lag off regardless of which way you go. Yeah. And the Texans right now, it's almost like they're just, they got cruise control on, you know? Absolutely. And that's why I have Houston winning 30-27. to I love a good pissed-off football team, and I think Atlanta will just be pissed off enough. Next up, we have the Tennessee Titans going up against the Indianapolis Colts. Now, before you say anything, Tanny's been on and off all season. Had a good game this week. Horrible game last week. Good game the week before. Absolutely god-awful week game before that so i think because he had a good week this week he's gonna drop back down to being horrible again and indy hasn't been looking bad 
27 to 6. Look, I was, I'm entirely on board with that. I was going to say the same thing. It's an odd week. And you know what that means? That means we're losing. But I don't think the margin will be as bad as you think because I have a lot more faith in our front seven than I do in the Colts' offensive line. Look, it's going to come down to... I hate to say it. Try to rattle the hell out of Richardson early. Because if we if, if Tennessee can do that, then they've got the W, right? Yep. But it's an odd week. I'm not superstitious. I'm a little stitious. What we've seen out of Ryan Tannehill has been the up, the down, up, down, up. Yeah. By all metrics, he's poised for an awful game. 24 to 10 in favor of Indianapolis. Next up, we have the Cincinnati Bengals going up against the Arizona Cardinals. Cardinals. Look, Joe Burrow's hurt bad. He couldn't finish his throwing motions against us. They need to rest him. They won't do it. And that in and of itself is what's going to lose Cincinnati this game. I want to agree with you. I really do. But I'm at a point where I'm tired of feeling like I'm going against Cincy here, going up against Burrow. I think Cincy just squeaks out a win here. It's going to be a tight game. Ultimately, I'm giving the edge to Arizona to the tune of 21 to 18. And I have Cincy winning 17 to 14. We also have the New York Jets going up against the Denver Broncos. Look, I want to say the Broncos are going to win, but their defense is too bad. Um, They... I, I can't even think of an analogy of what they can't stop. Look, um, the Jets have shown to me that Zach Wilson can play quarterback when he so chooses to. I think they're going to be a bit mad about what happened, justifiably. The Broncos are a tire fire. Look, Jets by 30 to 20. Wow. You think they're going to get Donna Kelsey to come back? That would be really funny if they did. So I actually have a very similar score. I have 35 to 20 in favor of the Jets. So pretty close. And the last game is the Green Bay Packers going up against the Las Vegas Raiders. Look, the Raiders suck. The Packers are not good. This game is going to either be a complete blowout. Just, just skip to the fourth quarter. Don't bother watching the first three quarters because that's the only time something's going to be happening. Maybe Green Bay will score a touchdown just by fluke or a pick six or a you know kick return or something. Uh, but Green Bay, 21 to 10. And with the vast majority of their points being scored in the fourth quarter. Green Bay... 28 to 18. And I hold your same sentiment about the fourth quarter. All right. And that's the episode, everybody. Be sure to leave a vote for who had the better draft. Uh, Be sure to send us hate mail. Or anything. 
honestly anything at this point. Yeah. Tell a friend, leave a review. Uh, and uh, until next time, guys, bottoms up.